Ben, just in time for puck drop tip-off and October baseball. Sportsnet now is having a sale on its annual pass. Are you going to be using SN now to watch some hockey this year? Definitely. I like watching Leafs, so I'll be tuning in on SN now for sure. You want to hear my uh, hot Leafs take? What do you got? Not only should they not name a captain this season, they should never name a captain again. Why is that? No NHL team should ever name a captain again. It is a tradition from a bygone era that we need to eliminate. There's no point for it anymore. Even if it's pointless, it's a fun tradition. It's just the guy who has to go out and talk to the media every night. (laughs) Who would want to be that guy? I think a lot of people would want to. And there are a lot of pointless, fun traditions in sports that I still like. So I say keep the captain. No, you should lose the captain, but you should get... SN now, where you can stream more than 500 NHL games this season, blackout free, including the Stanley Cup playoffs, plus the 2019 NBA champion Toronto Raptors, and it'll be postseason, all your favorite Sportsnet original shows, and so much more. Save 20% until October 15th and visit snnow.ca for more details. It's at the letters brought to you by the all new 2019 Ford Ranger. I'm Arden Zwellen, joined by Ben Nicholson Smith, as always. And this week, we talk to Blue Jays coach John Schneider. You've seen him in the dugout, you've uh, heard his name for a long time as he's kind of worked his way up the system with uh, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette and Kevin Biggio, managing in Dunedin and New Hampshire, and now this year having his first year on a big league staff so we uh, of course talked to him about that uh, we talked to him about Blue Jays catchers Reese McGuire and Danny Jansen in particular and the work that he does with them um, and continuing to develop those players we talked a little bit about sign stealing which is interesting and of course we talked about the kids primarily one Bo Bichette and what John Schneider has seen from him behind the scenes and uh, maybe a, a moment that wouldn't have stood out to all of us but certainly stood out to him it's up to Bo. Here he is just over a month into his major league career and what is now an at-bat that could live forever. Verlander trying to become the first pitcher ever to no-hit the same team in their building. Again, the 3-2 pitch. Bounding ball down to third. Toro's got it. On to first. In time! Justin Verlander holds his arms into the air, pumps his fist, elated! He becomes the fourth pitcher in Major League history to fire three or more no-hitters. He's the first in Big League history to do it in the same venue against the same team. And the cool thing about him was I think after that game, he went on a good little run of multiple hit games. And he he said to me in the dugout once, he said that last Verlander at bat locked me in. So I kind of looked at him like, cool, you're... Not many people can say that about an AB that ended in a strikeout or a ground out to Verlander, but that's just how he is. He doesn't care who he's facing, whether it's a couple homers off Kershaw or going up against these guys. It's, he's, he's not afraid. Here's our interview with Blue Jays Major League coach, John Schneider. John Schneider's with us. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you got four games left in your first Major League season. Has it been what you expected it was going to be. Uh, thanks for having me. And yeah, it's been it's been really cool. It's been eye opening. I've learned a lot. I think I've had um, a good time with the staff, with the players, which I always like to do. Learned what not to do in certain situations. Learned what to do more of. Um, but it's been really fun to kind of watch Charlie and watch Hudge and Pete and Louie, who have been here as a as coaches, and uh, kind of see how the young kids came up that I'm I'm used to, and see how the older guys kind of go about it it's been a fun year for me yeah my you know 
record is what the record is, but I've uh, taken a lot out of it. So obviously, we want to ask you about some of those younger players, including Vlad and Bo, but last year you were managing, and this year it's a, a different role, major league coach. What's that experience been like when you're kind of advising Charlie in-game, before games? How have you found that experience of the change in roles in the dugout? It's, it took me a little bit. I always try to watch every game, whether I'm in the dugout here or at home watching, you know, on my couch. I try to watch it like a manager um, and kind of ask myself what I would do, ask Charlie questions. Um, the conversations usually happen uh, before or after games. In-game is, uh, again, these guys that have been here, they've been cool with, you know, asking my opinion and kind of explaining why they did this or that. Um, and Charlie's been great with that. But it's been um, a little bit different. It's been, you know, I, f- I feel like I need to focus on the catchers and technically what they're doing, uh, but try to not lose sight of the overall uh, pulse of the game, I guess is the best way to say it. You kind of mentioned that learning experience of what's different here, learning what not to do. Like, what are some of those experiences that you had? Oh, man, I guess, you know, what not to do is, you know, as a manager in the minor leagues, you kind of had free reign to go up and say whatever you wanted, whenever you wanted. But kind of learning a little bit on, on these guys that are here at the at the highest level and when's a good time to go ask a question, when's a good time to go, you know, push for some information or when's a good time to kind of let him be, you know. Um, so I think working with the catchers and especially Jano being a young guy, knowing that he was getting a lot of information, you know, I had to kind of be very aware of when to go in and, and talk to him if it was an 0 for 4 or a 4 for 4 night, things like that, you know, how to approach a guy like Justin Smoke and, and see his routine and see what makes him tick. So it's been two ears, one mouth, I think. And, um, you know, hopefully as the years go, that changes a little bit, but it's been fun along the way. One of the most interesting players, I think, in all of baseball, really, is Vlad Jr. Um, being the youngest position player in the major league, still having whatever it is, a 780 OPS. But there have been some ups and downs along the way. And last year, by comparison, we know he had the, the knee issue at some point in the summer. But when he was on the field, Vlad Jr., and you were there watching it every single day, was incredible. What have you seen from him this year as far as those ups and downs? Because it, it has been a long season. There have been some really amazing moments and some other moments where it's been maybe more of a challenge. Yeah, I mean, you said it perfectly. Last year, there were no downs. Yeah. So we were, when it was an adjustment period for him this year, it was new for everyone. It was new for him. It was new for me. I remember Hudge asking me, you know, hey, did he ever do that last year? I'm like, no, he did nothing like that. He didn't chase. He never missed a barrel, you know. So it's a 20-year-old kid in the big leagues, which is, I think, what a lot of people forget. So it's been a really good learning experience for him on how to get ready for a game, on how to study pitchers. Guillermo's done a tremendous job with him. Uh, and Vladdy's done a good job of understanding what pitchers are trying to do to him. Um, and I think it's just going to take time. Uh, he's almost at 500 at bats, I think, 400 something. So you look at, you know, the reps that he's getting and the adjustments he's made. It's been frustrating for him at times, but I think it's been really beneficial for him uh, more than anything. Us uh, physical specimen in the media have been talking a lot about his conditioning <laughs> recently. Uh, what do you think needs to happen with him this off season in order to maybe have just a, a more well-rounded season? Because he even admitted that you know in, in previous weeks he's felt a bit tired and he hasn't had as much gas. Yeah, and I think with a lot of these young guys, even with uh, with us as a staff, you know, we, we get burnt out at this time of year. But I think he's learned that um, you know preparation in the off season and continued you know maintenance in season is going to allow him to be on the field on a regular basis and I think if we're going to do what we want to do Vladdy's playing third and he's out there every night so it's been communicated to him it's been communicated to us from him that it's a priority for him and 
Uh, I think just like anything that he's done on the field, he's going to tackle it head on off the field this offseason. You've had an opportunity to see how far he's come in that regard since he really broke in as a pro ball player. So when you think back to that, you know, Dunedin, New Hampshire, I mean, how far along has he come? It's it's amazing because he's 20 years old in the big leagues doing what he's doing and you have him as an 18 year old in in a ball and a 19 year old in double A and you the kid's just going to naturally evolve as a person, as a player, you know, physically, mentally, all these things. But if, you know, I'm looking at, if I'm rewinding my clock as far as I can go right now to take an infield in Dunedin with Bo on the half field behind the complex and watching him make plays and, you know, on the Rogers Center turf right now, it's pretty remarkable that the, you know, the transition and the, and the progress he's really made defensively, offensively, it's kind of been the same. So it's been fun to watch. One of the offensive highlights of the season for Vladdy came in the uh, home run derby where you were throwing these pitches yeah. to Vladdy one after the other and he was just crushing them. When you look back at that experience a couple months later, first of all, has the arm recovered from that? No. <laughs> I, I imagine not. And second of all, I mean, what do you take away from, from that experience both for yourself and for Vladdy? Well, for Vladdy, I think it was so cool for Vladdy, for the team here, for baseball. It was so cool to have him do what he did. Um, and to really put on that show as a youngest competitor ever in the Derby and not really being phased by the, the moment or the spotlight or the crowd. For me, it was awesome because it was a probably, well, hopefully not a once in a lifetime. Hopefully he goes back and asks me. But to be in that atmosphere around those players and, you know, that, that uh, electricity in the stadium was, was awesome. Um, I was probably way more nervous than he was. And, uh, but something I'll never forget. It was, it was by far the most fun that I had had. Um, in a four-minute time span on a baseball field. Back-to-back rounds of 29 home runs for Vlad Guerrero Jr. My God. He's just going to save his 30-round for the finals. You might see it. That is incredible. Look what he's done. Breaks a record in the first round, matches the record, and, hey, he's going to try to beat Giancarlo Stanton's 20 in the final round. That is such a pretty swing. Oh, my goodness. How excited are they in Toronto right now? You got Biggio, Bichette, and that guy. Look at Nolan Arenado being like, hey, Jock, you better bring it, buddy. I saw you like a week later, and you still had the cupping marks on your shoulder. <laughs> it was tough, man. It was, I, was, I, kept, I was throwing in between rounds because I didn't want to like get tight or stiff or, or anything, so I, I threw way probably more than I should have, but just tried to be as accurate as I could and let him take care of the rest. What do people not know about that event and about how it plays out or like what it's like to be on the field during that? It's a whole thing, man. We had meetings with Major League Baseball at 5 p.m., the throwers and the hitters and going over the rules and going over when the TV breaks would be and going over all the little parts that people kind of just don't think about when they're watching it. It was crazy. It was it was a lot. I was kind of looking around starstruck at times and um you know, watching it every year and all of a sudden you're in it. So I think it was, there's just so many things that go on um, behind the scenes. And I think sitting there on the, on the third baseline watching those other guys is, is something that um, everyone should experience if they can, because these dudes are really, really good. Yeah, especially Vladdy. And I mean, even in a field with so many power hitters and even in a year where you've got home runs flying at unprecedented levels, I mean, his power does stand out, right? I mean, you look at that home run derby display not everyone is capable of doing that. Like, not even the best hitters in baseball have that kind of raw power to right. just hit bomb after bomb. Yeah, I've watched it on uh, TV a couple of times just to kind of relive it a little bit. And to hit, 
nine or eight in a row, whatever it is, kind of just, you know, you see it during BP every day, but he's working on certain things in BP during the regular season. And uh, for him to just go out and just put that home run swing out there time after time after time was like, I mean, it's it's impressive, man. He hits, he hits the ball so hard and, um, you know, can hit it as far as anybody. So I think the sheer number of homers that he hit was the, the coolest thing. I remember talking to you when he was in the minors and you said, look, this guy has more fun at the ballpark than anyone. And you're telling me about, you know, pranks that he would play and joking around. And like, it's easy to do that when you're hitting 400. I'm wondering if that's been consistent this year as he gets the majors and it becomes a bit of a different thing for him and the expectations change and he doesn't have the season he expected to have. and He's had to deal with some adversity. Like has the personality and the joy still been there for him? Yeah, he's been consistent with it, which is really impressive for a young kid. I mean, when he was struggling early on the first couple of weeks, he was the same guy. He has fun. He likes to, I think that kind of makes him who he is and allows him to be the player that he is. It's been the same. Obviously his schedule is a little different now in the big leagues and he's got more, you know, media obligations and he's doing things off the field. So that's a little bit different. But when he walks in every day, it's smile on his face. It's laughing with his teammates and, and coaches. He's, he's uh, the same dude that, that we saw in the minor leagues. It's pretty cool. As for Bo Bichette, I mean, he's been in a lot of ways just as impressive as Vladdy or even more impressive when yeah. you think about the pure offensive numbers, the 940, 950 OPS that he posted, the doubles, the home runs, even the defense, he's been a complete player. So what what have you seen from him? And obviously he's sidelined as we speak right now, but what have you seen from him in the course of the first two months of his big league career? Uh, more of the same, really. You know, he's what stood out to me really is his defense, I think, Um making the routine plays, making some spectacular plays, um, a few hiccups here and there like any young player, but that's what stood out to me. I think that everyone really thought he was going to hit. Was he going to set major league records? We didn't think that with doubles and extra base hits and all those things, but he's a really confident kid, and I think that you know when he came up, it was just kind of, I expect to do great, and he holds, he holds himself at a, at a really, really high standard. He sets huge goals for him and for his team, so um, it, it's been fun. Not again, the three thirty with whatever and whatever homers and RBIs and all that stuff. It's kind of wow. Um, so to me, the defensive part of it, which he's worked so hard at over the past 12 months has been cool to see. He really does think he's going to be great. Like he, Oh, Oh yeah. He, he thinks he's going to be Mickey Mantle, and yeah. Mike Trout. He, I mean, he, <laughs> there's like, there's no hesitation. He's, I want to be one of the best players that ever lived period. Next question. He's just got that. He wants to beat you in everything, uh, whether it's baseball or tennis or golf or ping pong. He wants to beat you in everything he does. Um, so that's something you can't teach, and it's cool to see it play out at the big league level. And I think to the Verlander no-hitter, and he's answering you know questions about that final at-bat that he had, and he said, yeah, I, no, I, I was going to get him. You know, Oh, like, yeah. yeah. I was going to get him. Yeah, he was like, get me to the plate. I'm breaking this up, and I'm, I'm going to probably hit a homer. You know, That's just kind of how he thinks. And the cool thing about him was I think after that game, he went on a good little run of multiple hit games. And he, he said to me in the dugout once, he said that last Verlander at bat locked me in. Right. Uh, so I kind of looked at him like, cool, you're, not many people can say that about an AB that ended in a strikeout or a ground out to, to Verlander. But that's just how he is. He doesn't care who he's facing, whether it's a couple homers off Kershaw or going up against these guys. It's, he's, he's not afraid. And when you had him at like 18, 19, and he's saying things like this, and that's just his demeanor, you kind of like, you know, what's going on here? A little bit. Yeah. You know, he's just, you know, he's got the long hair and he's kind of unassuming, and you watch him play and you're like, 
all right, dude. Um, but he's that's just how he is. I think that it's just the way he was brought up with his dad and his brother. And you listen to him talk, and then you go out and you watch him play, and you're like, okay, he's this is the real thing. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Even a couple weeks ago now, Charlie was telling the story about how Bo said in the dugout, if he got a slider from a lefty, then he was going to crush it. And then he did for a walk-off home run. Like, how many players in their first six weeks in the major leagues can do that against the New York Yankees? Not many, I mean, as far as I'm concerned, but it's just, he was DHing that day, so he was in the dugout, and he was looking at the iPad, and he's he's like, all right, this is this is my plan against this guy, and... 0-1 pitches outside. That was awesome, because, you know, we a couple of us heard it in the dugout, and... Bo Bichette does not get cheated on any of his swings. He's doubled, singled, and walked tonight, reached base three times, scored a run. And you go out, and you can kind of see exactly what he's doing and what he's waiting for, what the pitch he's waiting for, and then to execute it was like... All right, this kid's for real. 1-1 from Lyons is hammered. That's hit to deep left field. Back goes Fraser towards the wall. Looking up. It's gone! Bo Bichette with the walk-off winner. His first walk-off knock in the big leagues, and he is mobbed at home plate. The Blue Jays beat the Yankees 6-5 as Bo Bichette walks it off with his 11th home run of the season. That was fun. He's uh, unfortunately sidelined right now with a concussion. I was talking to him in New York the other day, and he was saying still having trouble sleeping, and he's got a headache all day, and he's just feeling groggy, like typical symptoms you'd expect. You had the few concussions during your career, or might have ended your career, the concussions. Can you just shine a light on what he's going through right now? What is it like for a ball player going through that? It's hard because everyone's different. You know, I got him from foul tips off my mask, which you see a couple times a night in a, in a game, you know, with catchers. But everyone's different. It's such a delicate topic and subject for every person. Everyone responds differently. And you kind of just hope that it's small improvements every day. And, you know, trust that the medical people are doing what they're doing, which they are here. And, you know, it was, it was a scary play in Baltimore when he got hit. But you hate for it to happen to anyone, for one, and especially a kid that's really doing well in his first time in the big leagues. So uh, hopefully he's getting better every day. But he's um, – you can tell he's feeling the effects of it a little bit. So it's, um, it's improving, but it's going to just take some time. You had a point that you got to where they said one more and – and something bad's gonna happen yeah it was it was a little it was scary you know there's there's times where we're talking about your head and your brain you know you kind of get a little bit worried so I always joked that it was a combination of that and poor batting average that kind of told me it was time to be done but it was uh yeah whenever you hear that you kind of want to really make sure that you know baseball is going to be over at some point in time in your life and you want to be good for the rest of the time you're off the field is that the mentality here with Bichette? It's just to let him recover, let him take his time, even I, though... You know, yeah, I mean, I think if you ask him and you ask anyone, especially him, he's going to want to play whenever he can, you know, be medically cleared to play. And if that's this year, if it's spring, whenever it is, um, you got to just trust the people that are making the decisions. But I think no one's more disappointed than him that he's not in there right now. When you're returning from a concussion, is there a bit of uncertainty? Like, you know, when you're returning from a knee injury or something, it's, oh, I, am I really good to go? Is it the same with a concussion? I think with the concussion, well, really with any injury nowadays, with the sports science and the medical people that we have and every team has, I think they're, you know, when you're back out there, you're 100% sure that you're ready to go and you got to just trust that you're, you know, back to your normal self. So probably for Bo, being that this is his first one, I think, um, he'll be a little bit, not hesitant, but just, 
you know, getting his feet underneath him a little bit. We'll we'll take a little bit of time, but it's I think once that people tell you you're you're good to go, he'll be the same dude, you know, taking those big swings and and making the plays at short. You mentioned those plays at short and kind of the defense for him, how much it's progressed over the course of the years. Like, has he gotten to the point now that? it's pretty much just a fact like he is a major league shortstop because it doesn't even seem you'll hear the occasional question about Vladdy and first base or is he comfortable there but with Bo it just seems that he's solidified it he is a major league shortstop I think so I think his play has shown that you know and I, I you know as a player development person in the minors there's always conversations of where's the best spot for this guy defensively when he gets to the big leagues and there were games last year we played him at second base in New Hampshire about 10 games or so just to see what it looked like um, knowing that you know, there was a major league shortstop here in, in uh, Alemis Diaz and Tulo and all that stuff. So it's kind of like, where was this guy going to fit? So like anything, he took it upon himself last offseason to come into spring training this year, a different guy defensively, whether it was his footwork, his range, his arm strength. So it was kind of, all right, I'm going to, like anything, he wants to be great. He wants to win a gold glove. So it's um, kind of like challenge accepted. I'm going to show you that I'm a major league shortstop. Um, so it's rewarding from you know all the people that had him in the minor leagues to see him play shortstop every day is kind of you know it's it's very gratifying. I compare him to Tulo a little bit in that he doesn't necessarily play the position by the book like he doesn't do it fundamentally. Right. He does it within his own athleticism and fluidity to get to the balls and make the plays and he makes right. the outs he makes the plays but it's almost like a like a Bobachet style that he has at short right. I think yeah kind of you hit the nail on the head and I think that. Whenever you can be the best version of yourself on the field, that's what is going to be best for the team. So if he's going to field a backhand differently than, you know, Francisco Lindor, that's fine. If he's going to throw differently than Angelton Simmons, that's fine. You know, so as long as he's comfortable doing the things that he's doing on the field, you know, he's going to be the best version of, of Bo at short is great for us. So that kind of the key to player development in today's game is like not trying to fit every player into the mold of like, this is how a Toronto Blue Jay plays shortstop, but it's okay. This is how Bo Bichette plays shortstop. Let's try to make that as major league capable as possible. Yeah, I think so. I think if you're develop, you're trying to develop players, even at the big league level, you want to try to make them comfortable and you want to work around their strengths and always work on their areas for improvement you know so i think any good player development person or or coordinator whatever it is you're asking questions to the player you're not saying this is how you do it it's how are you comfortable doing it and how can we work around that and continue to improve it so jays have done a phenomenal job with that um to kind of not like you said put guys in boxes and say you're a pull hitter you're a power hitter you're a shortstop you're a second baseman i've learned to never say never about any player that you see in the minor leagues and and just hope that they continue to develop into the best version of themselves. Last summer, you were in New Hampshire with Bo and Vladdy and, and Biggio and all these guys. Fast forward basically one year, and Bo was up here crushing major league pitching. Vladdy has had some really good stretches, and Biggio, too, has been really good. Yeah, Was that apparent then that these guys were that close to being good major leaguers? I think when they did it last year in AA, if you look at the years they had, Vladdy off the charts, Bo off the charts, led the league in so many things as a 20-year-old, and Biggio winning the MVP, you look at them and you kind of knew they were a little bit different. You know, when you look around the team and you look around the league and, okay, they've, they've separated themselves. Um, and I think what they've done now is their personalities and their makeup and their work ethic has allowed them to kind of continue to separate themselves a little bit. So it was fun to see that unfold on a daily basis. And I always tried to like once a week, take a step back and realize how unique that group and that team was and to not lose sight of how, 
how good they were. It was cool to watch it develop, unfold, and then carry over into this year. We talk about never say never about a player. Kevin Biggio, the industry consensus was or guy, you yeah. know, probably not going to be an everyday major leaguer. And here he is putting up above average numbers yeah. as an everyday major leaguer. I'm sure you're not surprised by that, but it does, does it just speak to the amount of work he's put in in a pretty short amount of time? Yeah, I mean, when I, I saw him in 2016 briefly in Lansing, he came up at the end of the year, and you're kind of like, okay, yeah, a little table setter type dude. And, you know, you watch him in Dunedin the next year, and he played every single day almost and had good stretches and bad stretches. And, it's just a credit to him. Came into last year with an adjustment with his swing and hit all the home runs and drove in 100 and walked 100 times. It's been phenomenal to see him evolve as, a, as an offensive and a defensive player. Um, and on the bases, he's got 13 for 13 in bags and had 20 last year. So it's been cool to kind of see him evolve with the game and make his own adjustments. Yeah, it is pretty crazy because I, I remember – even as recently as last spring, and it seems like a long time ago now, but they had the game against the junior national team where Biggio and Casey Clemens and Flatty and Bichette were all playing against Braden Halliday. And I remember at that time, I'm thinking, all right, Casey Clemens and Biggio are the org guys. And then right. a year, like literally the next year, Biggio is up here and he's got like two and a half war. He's got 15 home runs, I think it is, really good OPS. That's incredible progress in a short period of time. Yeah, totally. I, and it's funny because Biz sometimes got lost in the shuffle. It was like Bo, Vlad, and Biggio, you know, and it was, uh, you know, it's, I joked and I said he's like the chaperone at the prom last year with the two kids and he's just steady, Eddie, and um, it is. It's phenomenal that he went from not so much we drafted Craig's son, but it was, it was a little bit of, oh, Biggio, it's a household name, and he's a grinder, and he's going to play every day, and we're not sure where he's going to play defensively to doing what he's doing, playing second base every day, turning a great double play, stealing bases, being in the right place at the right time, holding people accountable. He's, he's kind of the total package. How difficult is the adjustment he's tried to make over the last you know four to six weeks of being more aggressive on certain pitches when his approach is really predicated on patience and discipline and not being too aggressive it's the cat and mouse between pitcher and hitter you know it's i think that everyone knows in the league he's not going to expand the zone too much but you know we've talked to him about hey if we're sitting in a room game planning against you we're going to say throw strike one and maybe even strike two and then try to get you to chase but he's made that adjustment i think that he's understood that there are times where, hey, first pitch is best pitch, and I'm going to give it a go. Or if there's runners on, you know, I'm going to be ready to hit right here. And he's just really convicted in his approach. You know, there's times where he'll take a strikeout looking over swinging at a ball that's out of the zone, which I think over time that'll probably change as well. But for right now, he's just so convicted and swinging at the right pitches, it's gotten him into a pretty good spot. Swinging a fly ball, deep right field. That is crushed, and Kevin Biggio has gone deep. Number 11 on the season for Kevin Biggio. Starts the ninth for Toronto. One-two pitches hammered. Deep right field. That ball's gone. Kevin Biggio ties it up with his 13th home run of the season. Kevin Biggio soars one to straightaway center field out of the reach of Williams. He hit the wall as the ball hit the wall and shot behind the center fielder. Jansen scores, Bichette scores. The Blue Jays have a 7-4 lead. And Kevin Biggio stands at third base and he becomes the third player in Blue Jay history to hit for the cycle, joining Kelly Gruber and Jeff Fry. 
And then as for his defense, he's kind of settled in there at second base where he's played most of his time. But we've also seen him at first base, little left field, bit of right field. Where do you guys see him um, as a defensive player going forward? I think the hope, if you ask anyone, is he's going to be an everyday second baseman. Um, it's a luxury for Charlie and a luxury for the organization to to know that he can bounce around a little bit like the other night he went in and played first when we had a couple switches. Um, so it's just the manager's ultimate you know, luxury is to have a guy like him where you know he's going to know where to be uh, if you have to move him around. But I think right now what we're seeing is a pretty cool dynamic of having a, a shortstop and a second baseman that are homegrown uh, show that they can be everyday players at those spots. It's interesting that you go to a young player and you say, this is how we would attack you. Like, if we were on the other side, that this is what we would say about you and think about you. Like, is that, are certain guys more receptive to that approach when you're kind of talking to them about adjustments and things? Or is that pretty common? I think it's pretty common, but I think it's all in how you go about it. You know, it's it's not going to be, hey, Vlad, we're going to throw you heaters in and then we're going to make you chase. It's trying to just bring that awareness to those guys as to, if I were doing this against you, this is what I would try to do. So, take that for whatever it's worth but these guys are awesome with accepting feedback and taking it and kind of making their own adjustments and um i think just the the obvious example is what kevin's doing to where it's okay these guys are obviously getting ahead of me i'm gonna have to flip my my approach a little bit so it's part of it is the way you address it to the player and part of it is the player being open to feedback how does that apply to the catchers who you work with a lot? And like, I'm sure you could watch one game of Danny Jansen or Reese McGuire and come up with like three dozen different like things. So how does that work with developing those guys? Uh, same way, really. It's um, you have to know when to go in and know when to stay out of their kind of personal space. And the way I, I me personally, I like to quote unquote coach is be educated in different ways to do things, offer suggestions as to how. Um, those things may help that player's game and how they can put that into their own comfort level. You know, So by no means is it, hey, Jano, you're catching like this, or hey, Reese, you're catching like that. If you watch them, they're, they're similar, but they're different with the way they set up, with the way they catch. Luke Maley the same way. He's different in his own right and good in his own right. It's that fine line of saying, continue to do this and maybe try this. Or if you're really convicted in something and you know that it's going to help a player, then there's times where you go in and say, hey, this is what I think we should do. Um, and I've been lucky enough to have the, all, all three of those guys be very open to my suggestions and feedback. So it's been cool. When you look at, at Jansen and some of the numbers for his uh, season, the defensive numbers are really favorable to him as yeah. far as the framing. You're obviously familiar with those numbers. And more importantly, you see Jansen up close. You've seen him for a long time. Can you kind of break down why it is that those numbers would say he's such a good framer? Uh, yeah, I mean, I can try. I think, you know, what I think and what he thinks is it's putting himself in a in a strong position before he's catching the ball. It's being very aware of his glove movement, both pre and post catch. So he actually got with me, you know, I got the job in uh, November of last year and he got with me in January before spring. He was sending me videos. This is what I'm working on. What do you think? Um, So that dialogue had kind of started before we got to camp. It's just those things of him wanting to be better at it, being open to trying new things, being aware of what trends are around the league and what the best framing catchers look like and trying to find consistencies into what he's comfortable with. So the things that we work on all the time, it's body position, it's glove position, and being aware of what your glove is doing before and after you catch the ball. And he's done a phenomenal job at kind of being able to manipulate those borderline pitches, whether they're down or to the right or to the left, um, and helping out the pitching staff has been huge. So how would that work, for example? Like, let's say the pitch call is a fastball up. You're going for chase on 0-2. And uh, 
Jansen's positioning his glove? Like, where should the glove be before? Where should it be after? Each pitcher is different. You know, some pitchers like a target um, where they want the ball to end. Some guys want it where they want the ball to start. So you guys have probably seen him have a very high target, you know, with guys that are throwing breaking balls. If it's Jason Adam or if it's Wilmer Fawn or if it was Aaron Sanchez at the beginning of the year, it's just, okay, start it here and trust that I'll be able to present that ball correctly. Or if it's, you know, Derek Law or Fawn again or these guys or Wags who's pitching tonight, he knows exactly where the borderline spot is. This is too high. This is too low. Um, and he's made adjustments along the way. Now when he does the high pitch, he's given the, he's on a knee, you know, which is something he didn't do early in the year because in discussions and watching video, it kind of gives the umpire a better view as to where the ball actually is. So um, it's a constant game of adjustments, but it's kind of just um, each pitcher is going to be a little bit different. So he kind of just goes off of what their preferences are. Each pitcher is different, and you've had 38 of them. Is it up to 39 now? <laughs> Depends on whether you count Maley and Urania. <laughs> I think it's 38 with those two. 38. I actually counted one night, yeah. How much of a challenge is that in your first full season as a major league catcher to have to handle that many different pitchers? It's tough, man. For those that have caught, you know, it's such a comforting feeling to be catching guys that you know what their ball's doing and you know what they like to do in certain counts. Uh, so really, he's done a phenomenal job with doing his homework adjusting on the fly and really taking care of all these guys that we've had there's been ups there's been downs you know there's been conversations there's been tough conversations um you know pete walker and matt bushman have done a phenomenal job with him as well um and just making him aware of what pitchers like but for a 24 year old kid first year in the big leagues handling these guys he's been phenomenal do you even talk about hitting with danny and, and reese a little bit because i'm familiar with him you know i try to stay in my lane as much as you can but i think you know, G does a great job with asking me questions. Hey, what'd you see when he was really good in the minors? Or, you know, give me some feedback as to what's different or what's the same, you know. Um, I talk more so, you know, I'll, I'll throw in a, a tidbit here and there to kind of boost the confidence a little bit. But from a hitting standpoint, it's I try to remember that they have to hit, not just catch, you know. It's, <laughs> it's just because my job is catching. Yeah. Uh, you try to remember that the, these guys are doing both every day. So it's if I can offer any suggestion, I do, but a lot of it is, is G. So that's been a lot of stuff on their plate, but they've done a great job. And for a young catcher, if you're, you know, two for your last 20 or something, you're, you're doing really well framing, right? Or, you know, you block some nice balls. Like, yeah. is it tough to focus on those positives when we focus outside of the room so much on the offensive numbers? Yeah, it, it's tough because everyone wants to hit. Everyone wants to do everything great, right? And there's never going to be a day where it's, I call it like perfect attendance, right? You're never going to have that, you know, oh, I'm raking and I'm catching and I'm throwing. And so especially when Jana was kind of struggling in the beginning of the year, it was, hey, I know that your average is this, but what you're doing for the staff right now is invaluable. So it's cool to have guys like him and Luke and Reese that they could be not hitting, they could be hitting, and they're the same guys in the dugout to where when their bat's over, it's back to catching mode, you know? So it's how am I going to help these guys? How am I going to put that at bat kind of in the rear view and go back out and, and get the next three out? So they're both, uh, or all three of them are really good at that. Yeah, and, and McGuire too. I mean, it's been pretty impressive offensively and defensively for him this year. He's got a nine-something OPS, and I, I'll admit I was not predicting that. I'm not sure how many people were, but uh, it's been really impressive to watch. And then defensively too. So what have you seen from Reese? We all knew he could catch. We all knew he was very, very talented um, technically behind the plate, the way he catches, throws, and blocks. The offensive part of it has been, you know, it's been awesome. 
he's more aggressive. He's hitting the ball harder, and I think it's a credit to him. It's a credit to Corey Hart, who had him in AAA, uh, making those adjustments. But I think he's opened a lot of eyes since he's been here. And, uh, you know, whenever you're getting the compliment from the pitching staff, like all three of these guys have, is, hey, we love throwing to you. It's a credit to them and how much they care about the defensive part of it. But Reese has been a, a really big uh, breath of fresh air, I think, for everybody. You mentioned how many coaches are going to be talking to, especially the catchers, on a day-to-day basis. Pete, G, yourself, do you ever worry about information overload? Totally. I mean, it's especially for young kids. We have access to all of this information, and you can really nuance each hitter by counts and velocity and all this stuff. And it's tough, you know, so... Early in the year, I think you saw the slow start offensively for Jano because it was a lot of stuff to worry about defensively. And like anything, you get more comfortable as you go. And over the course of the first two months, I think is when you saw him relax a little bit and be comfortable talking about game planning. But again, it goes back to, all right, he's 0 for his last 12. Do I really want to go tell him exactly what the – or remind him, hey, remember this dude coming up second – with runners in scoring position, be careful with this. So it's been a fine line. And again, Pete and, uh, and Bush have done a phenomenal job with him, and I've kind of been that, that uh, sounding board for Jano a little bit too along the way. This, it was about this time last year that there was all kinds of talk about stealing signs, and as we head toward the playoffs, probably see that again, um, even though the Red Sox aren't in it. The Astros are there. We're, we're going to hear about that. How mindful are you guys of that stuff in the course of the regular season? You know, Jays versus Orioles or Jays versus Yankees, you know, game 81, game 155. How much does that enter your game planning? It's every day. That's been the most eye-opening thing to me this year is to how aware teams are of it and how to counteract that. So, you look at almost every catcher now with a wristband or a card and pitchers with cards in their hats with sign sequences. And um, we use different ones for different teams. When we know New York or Houston or Boston's coming in, we try to do it a little bit differently than we would against other teams. So that's been the biggest eye-opening thing to me is how much access you have to video, how much you have to be aware of what runners are doing at second base, what runners are doing at third base, what coaches are doing you know i mean everything you know you're you're kind of always on high alert that someone's trying to get a competitive advantage um over you and how are you going to counteract that do you ever notice that and say you know say you're in the dugout watching the game unfold do you ever notice man that coach is he's up to something and then you kind of pass that on yeah i mean i'd be lying if i said no i I think that everyone does that um you're kind of it's just like you're on high alert it's like you're babysitting and you got four infants what what are they what are they doing what are they doing (laughs) so it's Pete and I, you know, when we're sitting there watching an inning unfold defensively, it's one of us is looking at the runner at second, one of us is looking at the hitter, one of us is looking at everyone. And you come in and you kind of check your work on video and you go, okay, maybe or maybe not. Is the pitcher tipping? Is the runner tipping? Are they given location? Can you see the ball out of the pitcher's glove? Is he hiding it? So there's so many things that I don't want to say you're paranoid about, but there's been times where we're like something is going on because he should not take that breaking ball like he did. Um, But that's everywhere. That's kind of where the game is right now. And I think that if you can get an advantage within the rules of the game right now, yeah, go do it. So it's just how do you counteract it if people are doing it to you? Well, as a minor league manager, you spend a lot of time in the third base coach's box. So do you kind of bring a little bit of knowledge of uh, the dark arts? Yeah. I mean, (laughs) and a former catcher, you know, that's the first person I look at on the field all the time is the catcher, right? Whether it's our guy, whether it's their guy. And if you're coaching third or if you're coaching first, is, is he, 
a little bit open? Is he a little bit too far? Is his glove not in the right spot? Can I get a peek? Can I, you know, yeah, you're always doing those things. And I'd be lying if I said you weren't. And everyone in baseball would probably tell you the same thing or maybe not if they're not as transparent. But yeah, there's always, it's, you're always looking for a way to have an edge. And if that's one of them, then that's one of them. Yeah, it's super interesting to hear that, right? And I think we would all assume that ALCS, Astros, Yankees, they're going to be stealing each other's signs. No question about that. But let's say ahead of the upcoming game against the Orioles, would there still be, and you know, you guys haven't had the season that you would have wanted, the Orioles certainly haven't either, would there still be that level of detail? Um, like, are you still watching for signs, even in, uh, you know, say, the game against the Orioles? Yeah, 100%. You know, we know who's pitching tonight, and, you know, there's mental notes about you know what you saw the last couple times with that guy on the mound or with this reliever and if you can peek in and get an advantage if you're at second base of you know breaking down their signs I mean yeah it's kind of it's a touchy subject to talk about but I think anyone in baseball you guys included you kind of know that it's there and if it wasn't there the attention wouldn't be as high as it is right now so every game is a new game and it's not hey we're just going to go out and try to compete the best we can no it's we're looking for something every inning every night and we will all the way through sunday well i think about it it's like the pitcher takes the mound with a little pine tar on his cap or right. something and people say oh well why doesn't the, you know why don't they call that out and tell the umpire because all our guys have it too <laughs> or gripping the ball or whatever it like, is yeah i think it's just that's kind of the the unwritten you know rule in the game where it's you know you don't want to you don't want to say too much and again it's anyone who's looking for a competitive advantage is going to try to do what they can so, yeah, there's times where you go, all right, that's a little bit too much. And there's times where you go, okay, got it. <laughs> Just to finish up with you, um, thinking back on your first uh, year as a major league uh, coach, I'm sure you're going to think back on home run derby. you probably think back on Vlad's you know, first game. Are there any kind of moments or experiences that you had maybe that were off the radar, you know, in the clubhouse or that you know, people wouldn't think of that you're going to think back on and think, yeah, that was cool? The obvious one is opening day here, you know, when everyone's introduced and you kind of take a deep breath and look around and go, this is pretty cool. You know, the, the travel's different, the hotels are different, all that, all that kind of stuff. You know, a little better. Pa- yeah, a little better. <laughs> uh, beats a 12-hour bus ride to Akron. But, it, I mean, those things stand out. Watching the guys that I've had in the minor leagues arrive in the big leagues really stands out. And the cool – I've said this before, the coolest thing for, for me this year has been – Every day you get to the field at whatever time, at noon or 12.30, and you kind of slowly watch the stadium kind of come to life with media and music and fans. Um, And every night at 7.07 or 1.05, whatever it is, you're playing a major league game. So that part of it has been cool. I try to, you know, take that in as much as I can. The personal relationships that you have had with the guys and the minors that are now here is awesome. Um, And building the new relationships with the players and staff that are here has has been cool. So... There are a few ones that stand out, but for me, it's been the course of the season every day. It's something new. It's something different. It's something that not a lot of people get to do. So I try to really just, you know, take that all in. You still got a few of those guys who have yet to make it here, like, a, you know, a Santiago Espinal, or some of the players who are coming up at AAA right now, Forrest Wall. You still keep in touch with those guys and, and kind of keep track of their progress? Yeah, for sure. As much as I can. Um, you know, when you spend so much time in the minors invested with these kids and getting to know them and you want to keep in touch and check in and see how they're doing and see how their progress is. So you do not as much as you do, you know, on an everyday basis last year, but you shoot a text, you fire a phone call, you know, hey, see you're doing well, keep it going, whatever it is. Or it's cool to have those relationships, um, something that I take pretty seriously and really getting to know the person, 
not just the player and understanding kind of what what drives them and what makes them tick and then when they do arrive it's just a it's a comfort level that i think is easy for the players been very generous with your time thank you so much no problem guys love doing it At the Letters is brought to you, of course, by the all-new 2019 Ford Ranger, which rides on a solid foundation of ruggedness and strength with a high-strength steel frame. Thank you to John Schneider for joining us. Interesting stuff. You loved the sign-stealing stuff, Ben. Super interesting. I like sign-stealing as a topic. Probably gets played out a little bit in October, but the idea that these guys are trying to steal signs in a Blue Jays Orioles series to me just like <laughs> just underscores how competitive Major League Baseball is at all times and how these guys are seeking any possible edge they can get. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. That's part of the game, right? Like I kind of mentioned it with, with John, like every pitcher that you see coming out of the bullpen with some like mixture of sunscreen and pine tar like globbed on their arm, like you're not going to go complain to the ump about that because all your guys are doing the same thing. Um, so sign stealing applies. So I think that, yeah, anything that happens within the lines, like protect your signs better, right? Like you're, you're within the lines. Like when you get into like, you know, setting up cameras and stuff and you got guys relaying stuff through, you know, in the clubhouse and all that, like that's why it's kind of like, uh, what are we doing here? Same time. I don't know. It's 2019. You're, you know, you got to bring technology into this game and this is going to be a byproduct of it. It shouldn't be a surprise. That's for sure. I don't love the camera aspect of it. But I do love the idea that a pitcher would be tipping his pitches in some way and guys would pick up on that. And then the bench realizes he's tipping and they counteract it. That whole game within the game stuff is so much fun. I feel like coming into starts, you know, guys are tipping a lot more just because of all the video review that happens now and the video study, right? Like, and just how uh, finely you can kind of look at the, you know, what a guy's doing on the mound. I mean, we've already seen like a couple Blue Jays starters, Trent Thornton, Wilmer Font deal with pitch tipping this year. Have you ever tried to watch video and, and notice a guy's tell? I tried with Thornton earlier this year when he was tipping, and I forget if I was, that was too long ago. I forget if I was able to see it or not. It's really hard. Maybe, yeah. maybe some people have a gift for it, and I'm just not one of them. But I've tried to do it many times, and it's really, really hard to identify a pitcher's tell. I can tell when a guy is tipping from the swings that like hitters are taking, right? Like from some of the pitches that are getting squared up and some of the pitches that are being laid off of. Like that's when I know. But yeah, it's some. It can be really minor. Like it can be like the rotation of the glove, or like maybe his glove is open on certain pitches and closed on others, or like it, they're really, really minute things. Uh, but that's where the game's won, man, is on the margins. Those little things can add up into big advantages. That's Ben Nicholson Smith. Amal Delich is our producer. Thanks as always to him. My name's Arden Zwelling. Next week we'll have a, uh, a season wrap up. With Shai Davidi, look back on what was in 2019. Look forward to what's going to happen this offseason going into 2020. And of course, we must recap uh, our over-unders, which we will also do next week. So lots of good stuff coming up. You can get uh, wherever you get your podcasts and you can get at sportsnet.ca. Till then, this has been At The Letters.